Uh, it's just a privilege to be here this morning with you. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me or don't know me well, my name is Trenton Walker, and I'm from uh, the South Shore area, uh, kind of greater Montreal area, and I'm one of the local pastors with Church 21. Uh, and I just wanted to invite you, uh, if you were here today and you were able to sing uh, and worship with us as we sing I Surrender All, I just want to invite you to right now go grab the communion uh, supplies if you didn't pick them up on the way in, because we'll take communion at the end of the sermon. Uh, and I just, uh, it'll, we can take 20 seconds to do it now, so it's not weird later. Does that sound good? Um, all right, and yes, uh, John said it's my birthday, and all year I've had like this favorite joke, so I'm going to try it on you, okay? So my brother and I, we grew up together. That's not the joke. Uh, but <laughs> he's, this year, he turned 30, and I'm turning 32. That's good. Okay, so you're not going to get any of my jokes today. <laughs> uh, my brother and I are two years apart. So he turned literally 30, 30, and I turned 32, 32. Um, and I just thought it was such a funny joke. I thought I'd try it today. But thank you for laughing. That's my gift. Thank you. You've all given me a gift this morning. Uh, and so... Let's just move on. Let's moving on from that. Uh, we are working on this, uh, this rule of life. Uh, and the idea is um, we're not just telling you to do things. Uh, we're not forcing you to set up this structure. Uh, it's, it's the idea that you will flourish if you choose the structure that's controlling your life instead of just being a by force given one. Because life will give you some sort of structure, some sort of uh, rule that you build your life around. And we're saying, why don't we be intentional about choosing that for ourselves? And so today, as we look at relationships, we're going to look at what it looks like to build a rule of life around family, um, friendships, and mission. And so my question to start off uh, this morning with you is, why and how do you choose to spend time with others? Why and how do you choose to spend time with others? Uh, and as I was thinking about this question, um, I wanted to share a little story about... Um, my wife, who planned a, a family vacation this summer. Uh, and so she grew up in an area called um, Le Bas du Fleuve. <laughs> Does anyone know what that is in English? It's the, the lower St. Lawrence between Quebec City and Revere du Loup. Uh, and so she grew up in her high school years there. It's a really beautiful area. Uh, and she wanted to go to a cottage. And uh, this, the way that my wife, Lorianne, planned this vacation was that it was like her mom, her sister, her brother, uh, her, her other sister, um, her brother-in-law, everyone's invited. So it was a family vacation. Uh, even my parents were invited, uh, and they did come. Uh, and then also she wanted to be very intentional about meeting with her high school friend that lives in that area. Uh, and so during this time together, uh, what I wanted to just highlight is there was this one afternoon where most of us were just sitting in the chalet kind of enjoying a coffee, but Lori was spending the whole afternoon with her friend. And the noise coming off of the beach, the only way I can describe it is that it was a bachelorette party with 20 women. But it was just Lori and her friend. And what I appreciated about that was just the intentional quality time that she had planned for in the, in the vacation to spend that time with her friend. And then uh, a lot of our evenings, we just talked about theology in the way of saying, like, how can I point you back to Jesus? How can I, how can I point you uh, to the one I love and the one that I know loves you? So we had these really compelling uh, conversations. Um, and also, just in the time that Lori's friend uh, was kind of around, she was invited to brunches, the, obviously the beach that whole afternoon that we, um, we definitely, everyone heard that, that gathering. But 
in those quality times, uh, Lori's friend was able to ask questions about Lori's faith. And she knows that Lori, Lorianna is a believer. Uh, and she's always been open to that. And so there was times that she was like, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about the teaching uh, of the Bible? And G- Lori was able to point her towards Jesus. And so I, I just shared this, this illustration with you to ask you another question. Um, do you know what it looks like to have unhurried time with friends? Uh, do you enjoy life with, with your family? Do you have people in your life that encourage you, build you up, and, and that you know that they're going to just continually point you back to Jesus when you need it, or even when you don't need it, just to encourage you? Uh, and then the last question is, how are you pointing others to Jesus? Uh, and so with that, I'd just like to pray as we get into the passage for today. Heavenly Father, I just uh, I thank you that I can call you Father because of the work of Jesus, and, and we're going to get to look at that uh, today in our time together. Uh, I just pray that you would, um, you just give us clarity. You give me clarity as we look at this topic. And, and uh, I pray that we'd be able to celebrate relationships and celebrate the family and, uh, and friends that are around us, uh, but also those that uh, we're building relationships with. Uh, and I pray that uh, just through our time together, we'd have a clear understanding of, of why and how we choose to spend time with people. And I pray that uh, through the life of Jesus and through his words and teaching, uh, we'd be able to have a clear guidance. Uh, so God, I just pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so full disclosure, okay? I preached on this exact passage like a year ago. Here, I was here. And so if you start to feel like, whoa, deja vu, it's because I really just took my notes and adapted them for today. But they're like the, the meaning of the text and understanding the context, that none of that stuff changed. But the way that we're going to apply it today, I think, is going to be really pertinent to what we're looking at with this rule of life. And so uh, just to give a refresher, in Mark 3.31, we're just given a scene. Just picture it. There's this group of people se- seated around Jesus, uh, and, it, and it's fairly large. And so we see at this point, verse 31, and his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called to him. So, this is clear. Jesus' family, they came to talk to Jesus, but the crowd is too tight for them to actually get to Jesus themselves. And so what did the family do? They passed the message along. And, uh, and in passing the message, uh, basically the crowd, this is verse 32, and the crowd sitting around, uh, was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Uh, now, there's something I want to point out already. Doesn't this crowd seem organized? It just seems orderly, and, and, it's, and it's interesting because the posture here is really important. Because in Mark, a few verses earlier, there was a crowd around Jesus that almost crushed him because they wanted to be healed so bad, and the disciples had to remove Jesus from that crowd. And so it's just interesting to take a moment and, and, and see in this passage, Jesus isn't healing people, he's teaching people. And so the healing and the work that Jesus did gathered a crowd, but they were disorderly. And when Jesus started teaching, it brought order and it brought uh, respect and reverence. And so what and why did that happen? Well, I believe that this crowd is truly engaging with what it means to become disciples of Jesus. And so today, as we're together, I just want to invite you to engage. What does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus? And so they're sitting there 
They're listening to Jesus' teaching. They're very orderly. They have some sort of communication chain already built up or just easily established to get the message up to Jesus. Uh, and then I, I have another question. Why wasn't the family already there? Why wasn't the family of Jesus sitting with him? And shouldn't they be his biggest supporters? Does, is anyone here who, ha, like, your parents are your biggest fans in, in whatever you do, sports or music? or so, We got one person that has parents that are a big fan, and the rest of you, I'm sorry I dug that up. And so, <laughs> and so why, weren't, why, was, why wasn't Jesus' family sitting there with him, supporting him, encouraging him in his ministry? Uh, and so the reality here, and continuing just in the context of, of this passage, news is traveling fast, and there and people are hearing stories of healing, deliverance, and and like from demons, like really crazy things. These crowds forming, like so chaotic that like people are in danger of being crushed. Uh, and the reality is that Jesus's family think that he's out of his mind, and they've actually come to intervene. They've come to stop Jesus. And so. To understand why the family feels like this, we have to look at the bigger narrative of what's going on in Jesus' family narrative. And so, in the very beginning of Jesus' family narrative, we see that Mary is told by an angel that Jesus is going to be set apart for God. And does anyone remember Mary's response? Mary says, may it happen to me as you have said. Okay, so from the very beginning... Uh, Mary has accepted that Jesus' life is not going to be normal, but she doesn't really understand fully. But And then the next touch point we have in regards to Jesus and his family is when Jesus is 12. And what happened when Jesus was 12? Okay, I'll tell you. It's okay. Uh, Jesus uh, was traveling with his family, and he just hung out in the temple. And he was sitting and listening to the teaching. And three days go by, and his family is like, where's Jesus? And they have to go look for him. And when they finally find him, they say, uh, this is in Luke uh, 2, 48 through 15. You don't have to join me there. But they say to him, son, why have you treated us like this? And that's Mary speaking. Uh, She says, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus answers her saying, why are you searching for me? Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? And so we already see at 12, his parents aren't really understanding what he, what he said to them. They did not, the, the scripture says they did, uh, his parents did not understand what he said to them, which shows us that they also uh, were not understanding that bigger family narrative, that what the angel had told Mary just from the very beginning. And so uh, the connection is Mary is being reminded probably here of something she's already been told by God, that God has a plan for Jesus' life. Uh, and it's, it's not her plans, it's God's plans, and, and she doesn't really understand what that will look like in, in practice. And so the reality is that Jesus' life was going to be about God's business, and it wasn't going to be about Joseph's business. Uh, and that's important. He wasn't going to be a carpenter's son forever. And so what's really key here is that in this context of a Jewish family, the ties of a family and the connection of family were so deep. It was so important, and it's connected to the Israelites being God's chosen people. And so family is where you found your identity in this, in this context. And so we actually uh, see that when, when Jesus is teaching here in the passage for today, his family's not with him. We should, or at least the readers uh, at the time, should have been saying, 
Why is Jesus not fitting in with his cultural identity? What's wrong here? What's wrong with this picture? Uh, and we actually see this. Uh, Mary is processing this type of, um, sorry, not Mark, uh, Mary. Mark helps us to understand this later on in, in the book of Mark. It's Mark 6, 3, where Jesus went to his hometown, and the people who saw him and the teaching looked around, and they said, isn't this the carpenter? Uh, isn't this the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his, aren't his sisters with us? So Jesus' family was not with, the, with Jesus. They were separate. And then the crowds were offended by Jesus. And so that's just important to have that context that Jesus is not fitting in. I'm having trouble here. Um, just give me one second. Uh, there we go. Uh, Jesus is not fitting in culturally, and it's actually causing some hostility. And, uh, and he's not fitting in with the, the family expectations. Uh, and so we're going to read again, if I can find my spot. I haven't had problems like this before, but today we get to experience this together. Okay. So when, when and uh, Jesus' family shows up, we have to ask the question: Why have they showed up now? And then this is revealed in Mark three twenty one. Uh, when his family heard of this, heard of all the things Jesus was doing, they sent out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. So it's not just me saying it; it's really scripture. His family thought that he was out of his mind, and they had come to restore family honor because Jesus was not fitting into the cultural identity. He was not protecting the family honor. And so we're going to read again uh, Mark 3, uh, 3.32. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they, said, um, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And so what Jesus says in response is shocking. So let's read this together. He answered them saying, who are my mother and my brothers? Does that sound shocking to, to hear Jesus say something like that? It, it seems almost inappropriate. It seems rude in it, to a certain degree. Uh, and there's this assumption, like we've been talking about, that doesn't family mean that you have VIP access to Jesus? Uh, and Jesus, he's not supporting this assumption. assumption. Uh, and so we should look deeper as to what is Jesus doing in this. And so, the, again, there's this expectation. Culturally, you respect the family honor. Uh, and so Jesus' words in that context are actually not shocking. They're scandalous to the point uh, that you might have heard people gasping <laughs> in the crowd. Uh, and I think that that is what Mark is showing us here when Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? But here's the point. Jesus, he's not attacking his family. His words are rooted in love. He's not trying to be offensive. He's not looking to be scandalous. He's looking to show love. And he's using this as an opportunity to teach. And what he's teaching is that family does not mean you have VIP, ex, uh, VIP access to Jesus. Family does not mean that you have VIP access to Jesus. And beyond that, it does not mean that you're in with Jesus. And so for Mary, this might have brought like this flashback. When she heard those words, possibly she might have thought of when 12-year-old Jesus said, why, why are you searching for me? And, and it's just that it's a shocking statement. It, it's not what you're expecting. And what Jesus is saying is along the lines of, I'm about my father's business, and my father's business comes first. And the reality is he's not going to set aside his father's will or forsake his family. 
Jesus is committed and obedient to God, and God comes first in his life. And so this isn't easy, and it wasn't taken lightly. These are very thoughtfully chosen words that Jesus used, and the reality is it's not an offhand remark. It's an intentional cut to the heart addressal of the situation. And what it is that Jesus is saying is if Jesus conformed to his family's expectations, if Jesus conformed to his family's desires, he would be disobeying God's will. I grew up in a pretty small rural town, and uh, my dad had also grown up in that town. And then his, his main business was a financial counselor. He sold life insurance, so he had many clients. Plus, he grew up in the town, uh, and so it was really impossible to go anywhere without someone saying, oh, hey, Kenneth, and then having this conversation. I was used to it to the point that I'm, I desire to see that kind of thing in my own town where I live now, where I know people enough to be able to engage in, in conversations with them. And, uh, and if I wasn't with my dad, it happened almost every time that I went out of the house into town uh, that someone say, hey, aren't you Kenneth, Kenneth Walker's son? And I'd be, yes, yes, I am. And so I say that just to share some, something interesting, that what we see in Mark 3, 34, uh, really kind of brings us all together. And looking around him, at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. And we'll read verse 35 again. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Is there a title missing there? We have mother, sister, brother. What title is missing? Father. Okay, so that's so key. He's referencing mother, brothers, sisters. The title of father is, is missing, and this is intentional. Jesus is showing that no one other than God, his heavenly father, can be called his father. And that means that everything that he does, God's will is going to take priority. God's will comes first. And so maybe uh, Jesus would have experienced kind of growing up in that really small community where Jesus uh, would hear people saying, aren't you Joseph's son? Aren't you the son of the carpenter? And we even see this uh, in Mark uh, 6. But Jesus is, is making it clear that his father is God. And so in this, what should we understand? What, we see what Jesus did. We see how Jesus is communicating and why. But what is he wanting us to understand, the reader to understand today? Uh, and even for Mark, uh, when he wrote it in that, in that context, what was the reader supposed to understand? And here's the reality. When Mark wrote this book, James, the brother of Jesus, had assumed leadership of the Jerusalem church. Okay, so he was well known. And also Mary held a position of honor because of being Jesus' mother. So what we're seeing here in this passage is that if these people are not automatically in with Jesus, then no one can assume that position. And I've already uh, spoken to this, and that is good news. That's good news for you today. Isn't it interesting? The fact that Jesus' family was not automatically in is good news for you today. And let me explain why. A relationship with Jesus, adoption into his family, it's something that's offered to whoever does the will of God. A relationship with Jesus, an adoption into his family is offered to whoever does 
the will of God. And so when Jesus, he called his 12 disciples, uh, uh, the, the apostles in Mark uh, 3, 13 through 19, he called them to a new identity, a new family, a new community gathered around who he was. And this was a new covenant community. And they, they answered the call. And so this call is extended to you as well today. And the call goes beyond your direct family. The call is this, that it's not about family, it's about faith. It's not about friendship. It's about full commitment to Jesus. And the faith in the salvation uh, that Jesus offers and full commitment to him as king and savior. And in this, we fulfill the will of God. Okay? Faith and full commitment to Jesus, and you'll, you'll fulfill the will of God. And you cannot do that. You cannot have faith in, the, in your own efforts. You cannot fully commit to Jesus in your own works. And the reality is that you won't do the will of God. You will fall short. You will miss the mark of doing what God is asking you to do, is to do his will. And falling short means that you sin. And the Bible says that all have sin. And sin results in broken and strained relationships. And this is what it will look like. Your relationships, your time with other people are going to be rushed. Uh, you're you're going to be selfish about how you spend time with people. Because you're going to be wanting to go on to the next thing that you'd rather do. Or be with the people that serve you better than the people that are in front of you. You are going to, to experience exhaustion when people ask anything from you. And you're going to be frustrated with people. And you're going to... Uh, and when people don't meet your expectations, you're going to be discouraged. And you'll experience others hurting you. And your desire, your deepest desire, will be to retaliate and have vengeance. And that you're hurt and they should feel what that feels like. And this is a vicious cycle of broken relationships that connects all the way back to the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And it's rooted in one thing. They did not believe that God loved them. And the reason they didn't believe God loved them was because of a lie that was saying, God has withheld good things from you. So he can't really love you if he's withholding good things from you. And the reality is that we here today believe that lie too. We believe God does not love us. And in that, we believe God's withholding good things from us. And the reality is that we decide to pursue what we define as good. We decide to pers- uh, redefine good, and we actually reject what God says is good in any ways. And so pursuing our own desires, falling short of God's will, I said that's called sin, and sin will lead to death. Okay, so we're looking for something good. We're looking for something uh, that will bring joy and, res- and restore, and that what we're going to find in doing that in our own work is death which is basically the exact opposite of anything anyone's searching for. And so pursuing our own definition of good makes it impossible to do the will of God. And beyond that, we don't really care about what God says is good anyways. Uh, And to illustrate this, I'm going to give you a little disclaimer, okay? I'm going to give an illustration about an earwig, okay? And you're the earwig, okay? I hope that you don't feel too uncomfortable with that. Uh, So my friend was cooking on a barbecue, and I don't know if you've seen this, but some older barbecues have these little uh, square kind of bricks, little pyramid bricks, and they displace the heat. Um, maybe you haven't seen that before. Now you can just imagine. I see a lot of blank stares. Uh, <laughs> so it was just there would be a rack, and there would be these little square bricks, and that displaces the heat 
uh, and it was just a, a technology of uh, barbecues at a certain point. Uh, anyway, so he turns on the barbecue, and he's like an extremely compassionate guy. You need to know that about him. And all of a sudden, a little earwig pops up on top of one of the bricks, uh, and the elements are all lit. And so as the barbecue starts to heat up, he's trying to save this little earwig with his uh, barbecue spatula. He's like, here, just jump onto this platform, and I'll save you. Uh, and the earwig is running away from the spatula, but also he sees it's clearly becoming more and more frantic as it's heating up. Uh, and so it's jumping from little little brick pyramid to the next, trying to escape the heat. Uh, and, and at the point where it would have just been cooked to a crisp, he tries one last time, and it jumps onto the spatula. And he lifts it over, and it's sitting there on his spatula. He lifts it over and puts it down, and then it leaves. Okay? And so you're the earwig. <laughs> there is imminent danger of death because of sin and because of believing a lie that God doesn't love us and that everything that God says is not really good. And then we redefine our own good, and we, and we kind of look around, and that really there's that imminent danger of death looming. And we keep going like, oh, maybe this will be life. Maybe this will be life. Maybe this will be life. And the entire time, Jesus is right there saying, let me give you life. Let me give you life. And, and if you're much like the earwig, maybe you're afraid of that. But I think the reality is that you reject it. And so that's where we are, we're at. And it's the constant battle. It's we can't do it, and often we don't want to. But the good news is that Jesus did already. Jesus did the will of the Father by fully committing to God, and in doing this, we're going to hear a key word for today. Jesus loved perfectly. Remember how I said that he couldn't love his family by conforming to their will? He loved them by obeying God's will. And so we see that Jesus, his direct family, they probably didn't believe it. They didn't feel, I don't feel loved right now. What you're doing is making me feel dishonored, you're breaking cultural traditions. Uh, your, your actions are hurting the family. And he couldn't love them that way. He couldn't love them by conforming to their expectations. He could only love them by doing the will of the Father for them. And you know what? This, it, this led Jesus to giving his life for his direct family. He gave his life for his family because of his love for them. And today you need to hear that Jesus, he loved you to the point that he obeyed the will of the Father so that he would give his life for you. This led, Jesus' love for you led him to giving his life for you. And so in Jesus' death and re resurrection, uh, we have the basis for being accepted by God, the Father. And it's not about who you are. That's key. It's not about who you are. It's also not about what you do. Through faith, we are forgiven. We're accepted into an eternal family. And in John uh, 1.12, it says, But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe on his name. And so through faith, we're able to fully commit to Jesus. And it doesn't matter about family proximity. And this is important. Like if, you, if you've thought to yourself that your, your family going to church, your family being committed Christians, or even your own actions is enough to be accepted by God, they will fall short. Through faith, you can receive and accept the work of Jesus on your behalf. And it was actually while Jesus was on the cross that he concluded this whole family narrative that we've been looking at today. Uh, and, and we see this in John 19, 26 through 27. Uh, Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved staying there. And he said to his mother, Woman, 